Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin chapter 2 this morning in our journey of joy unspeakable. I believe if I've got the numbers right, this is message 8 in the series of, of, of our joy unspeakable series. And the title of the message, I think I already shared it, is this. It's the submissive mind. That's the, the title of our message today. It's really the topic of this entire chapter. For chapter 1, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but chapter 1 talked about the mind of Christ. It having a single mind. And now we're looking at the submissive mind. So we're in chapter two. We're going to probably look at the first 11 verses this morning. So chapter one was all about the single mind, being single-minded, a mind on Christ. And Paul showed us how to have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. We saw that as he shared the things that he was going through and, uh, and how in the midst of everything that was going on in Paul's life at that time, he wasn't focused on the problems as problems. He was focused on the problems as things God had used in his life, and used it for the good of others, and he used it in his good. But, it, but in the midst of those difficult circumstances, he had joy. And that's what we learned from Paul in that. And, and we do that. We can have joy in those difficult circumstances by having a, a, a mind that is set on Christ, Christ first. When, we, when we're single-minded, we see God's hand in the circumstances of life, and we can have real joy in the midst of any circumstance, regardless of what's going on in life. We may not be happy with the situation as it is, but we can have joy. And I'll take joy over happiness any day. Amen? I'll take the joy. In chapter 2 now, Paul discusses the submissive mind. That's the topic of this whole chapter. There was division in the church, and Paul is going to instruct them, and therefore he's instructing us. When he's instructing them, he's instructing us. God knew when he, when he inspired this through Paul that his writing wasn't just for them. It was for us for all time, and, and so this is good for us today. And he was, he was instructing them and instructing us in how to have joy in dealing with difficult people. Anybody ever run into difficult people? Have you? Okay. All right. You know, what you may realize as we go through this is that I'm the difficult person. Now, I'm not meaning me, I, you know, but it may be me. We're going, ah, these difficult people I run into. I run into difficult people everywhere. It may be that I'm the difficult person. It, it may be. I ran into one of those Friday afternoon at Publix. I'll tell the story another time. But there are, uh, there are Karens everywhere. And just when you think they're going to strike... You keep your distance. They strike someone else. It was, uh, I'll share the story sometime. Philippians 4.2, uh, Paul says this. He says, I implore you, Euodia, and I implore Sintichi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. There was division in the church. And so Paul's dealing with this, and we see it already. He's beginning to talk. He, he hasn't called out names yet, but he's talking about unity. He's talking about being single-minded and, and having a submissive mind. And he said, here's how we can have unity in the church, and, and that's what this is going to be about. So the key verse here in this chapter is in verse 3. We find in verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. I think King James uses the word vainglory. Let nothing be done for vain glory. Just glory that's vain. It's all about you. It's for your attention. It's for your glory. And, and so it's the, the, the idea there is this selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's not, I, I, I don't know that I've ever heard someone quote that verse as this is my favorite verse in the Bible. We have a lot of favorite verses, you know, oh, that's one of my favorites. I've never heard anyone say, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that's my favorite verse. 
Because it's difficult for us. It really, it's a difficult verse. And we'll, we'll talk about, we go, that's not that hard. But in reality, it is. Uh, in chapter 1, Paul puts Christ first. In this chapter, he puts others second. Well, if he puts Christ first and others second, then where does Paul end up? He ends up third. He ends up, he ends up last in that list. So he, he puts himself last. And, and that right there captures this idea of submission. It's not Paul being first. It's not Paul even putting the Lord first and you know, then himself second and others. Then he considers others high. It really is about esteeming others better than yourself. And that's what Paul is, is going to teach us here. And it's all about submission. The reason people aggravate us so much is usually because we don't uh, get our way. Amen. Or they get in our way. Right? It's either me not getting my way or somebody is getting in my way. And that's the problem. Now understand this. That's not about them. It's about us. If someone blows by you on the interstate or they kind of cut off in front of you, it's really not about them. The way we respond to that is all about us. It really is about us. And that's what we want to think about as we, as we study this chapter. The problem, Paul says, and he gives it to us in verse 21. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. While if we would learn not to, to, to be about seeking our own and everything, a lot of the problems we have in life go, go away. A lot of the stresses that we have in life go away. If we go through life putting ourselves first and others go through life putting themselves first, then inevitably there's going to be conflict and problems. That's what's going to happen. So Paul is dealing with this submissive mind. How do we have this submissive mind? Look at verse 1. Therefore... If there is any consolation, and that word consolation is comfort or, or one, one, one translation of that could be encouragement. If there is any encouragement, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Now these are almost rhetorical comments because we know every one of these things are. There is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort in love. There is fellowship in the Spirit. There is, there, and there is affection and mercy. And he says, if there are these things, and he says, verse 2, he says, fulfill my joy. Now I, Paul had joy. He says, make it fuller. Fulfill my joy by being, listen, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. And that phrase, one accord, means like-minded. That's the idea. So it's, it, he's saying, almost saying the same thing two or three times right here. He's getting across this idea of unity. Not universal. It's not, it's not about, about everybody. It's not uniformity. In the church, we're not all to be exactly alike and the same, but there's to be unity. And that's what he's talking about here is be like-minded. Don't be walking around robot models and cutouts of each other. Be, be you, you're unique individuals, but be like-minded. Have the same mind, the same love, one accord and one mind. And then again, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem, esteem others better than themselves. Now that word esteem, we, we understand that's kind of, you know, to esteem someone, we kind of lift them up. But it really, really one of the translations of that word is account. So if you esteem someone or you account someone higher than yourself, what you're doing is you're, you're making an evaluation. You're making a valuation and you're valuing them higher than yourself. That's the idea right here. Esteem. Others. Look at others. 
Raise them up higher than yourself. Lowliness of mind. And that phrase, lowliness of mind, it means humiliation of mind. It means modesty, a humbleness of mind. So this idea is that we be humble in our mind, humble as we think about ourselves, and we lift others up. We think of them higher than ourselves. That's countercultural today. It was countercultural then. It, 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 it's, it's just counter to our sinful nature. It, it just is. That's why verse 3 is not anybody's favorite verse. Because it, 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 it's max of our flesh and our self and the things that we struggle with. Verse 4, let each of you look, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, this, Paul's not saying, hey, be busybodies. You be nosy. And you keep up with what everybody else is doing. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying you look out for other people's interest the same way you look out for your interest. You, you be, you know, this is, I love this. I love, uh, I love when I have wingmen in my life, okay, where, where people, you know what a wingman is in the military. So you're piloting a plane, you can't see everywhere. There's places that you're blind where your wingman is there to see what you can't see. And they're watching out for you. And men and ladies here in this church, you ought to be wingmen and wingwomen, I guess, for, for each other. You should be looking out for each other. And you should be watching out for each other. And if you see something that, that's of concern, I mean, I could share stories right now of times where I had a guy follow me in my office. And, and, and I thought, man, what are you doing? But he was concerned about the lady who had been talking to me. He was concerned because he picked up a vibe from her. This was in church that concerned him. He was looking out for me. He was a, he was a wingman. He's watching. I don't know if you see this. There's a danger here. Caution. Okay, we ought to be doing that for one another. So looking out. So look out for, be on the lookout for each other, the interest of others, not just your own. We're so time, sometimes we can't see what's going on in anybody else's life because we're so busy consumed with what's going on in our own. And Paul, Paul's not saying you shouldn't care about what's going on in your life, but you should be looking out for the interest of others, not just your own interest. Then he says in verse 5, he says, let this mind... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to get to, we're going to get to in a moment, we're going to get to Jesus' attitude. What was his mind that we're to have? But we're going to, a little preliminary work before we get there. Well, let's have a word of prayer right here. Father, I just pray that you'll um, speak through your word right now. I pray you'll speak through your servant right now. I, th- I pray you'll take, Lord, what you've prepared in me, and you'll help me to communicate it according to your will. Lord, I, I ask right now that, and it sounds strange sometimes when people hear this, but Lord, I don't want folks to hear me this morning. I want them to hear you. I don't want them to hear what Conrad has to say. I want them to hear what, what the Lord Jesus Christ has for them. So I pray the Holy Spirit of God would uh, open our, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears to hear and to see and to receive and to discern exactly what you would want for us, for each one of us individually. So Lord, as we come right now, and may we come with this humble attitude, this submissive attitude to the Word of God, not to Conrad, but to the Word of God. And may we just humbly approach your Word, and then, Lord, I pray we'll we'll obediently respond to the work you want to do in our hearts and lives today. Bless this time for your glory, for your honor alone. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.
Now, so the question, what does Scripture have to say about submission? What does it say about submission? And, and then, so what, what is submission? That, that might be a better question. What is submission? Richard Foster says this, and it's a book with, I'm meeting with some guys, and we're reading this book by Richard Foster, uh, Celebration of Discipline. And one of the chapters, he talks about submission. And so this is what he says about submission. He says, it is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. Does that afflict anyone else other than just me? Anybody? Oh, y- y'all are so spiritual. Okay, I see some few hands. I see a few hands. Y'all are like, really, like, be honest. Come on, stick it up there. It, 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 it is. It's a burden. You, you understand this, and as, you, and as you, we look at this and learn more about this, it is a burden when we feel like we always have to have our way. We always have to be right. It always has to be what I want. It is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. The obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. He goes on to say that when we learn to submit, we at at last are free to value other people. Their dreams and plans uh, become important to us. What a blessing. With submission, we are truly free to give up our own rights for the good of others. We can then truly love people unconditionally. And it takes, and, and this, that's the, kind of the thesis of, of what we're going to talk about in the next several weeks, is this submission, us submitting, us not being all about me, but being about other people and being the Lord first and others second. Now, the biblical teaching on submission is radical. It was radical then. It's radical now. Mark 8, 34 says, when, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. There it is, submission. Jesus told Peter in John chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I, if, if I will that he remain till I come, what is it to you? You follow me. It wasn't about the other person. It's about you. You submit yourself to me. Look at what Jesus said about Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffering. Submission. That was Paul's that was the plan Paul had, or God had for Paul. And Paul, Paul followed the Lord. He submitted to the Lord. He suffered for the Lord. He served the Lord. He, he, he followed him faithfully. And, and it was all of that. It would have been easy if he was not submitted first to the Lord. When things got rough, Paul wouldn't have been going, hey, pr- to the praise and glory of God for what I've gone through because it has furthered the kingdom. No, he wouldn't have said that. He would have said, I didn't sign up for this. I've heard that in ministry. I've heard folks in ministry say, I didn't sign up for this. Man, if you're in ministry and you go, I didn't sign up for blank, whatever, you you're, you're shouldn't be in ministry. There's a lot of things I didn't, I didn't sign up for, a lot of things I didn't think would be a part, but it's part of it. And, it, and it's, part of what, it's part of being a servant of God because, and it's part of being a humble servant of God. Paul Submitted to the Lord. And then because he was submitted to the Lord, he could trust and he could just weather whatever. Now, note this. Submission is not about hating yourself. 
Some people think, well, you, you know, submission is now you, you're, you're just in, you're, you're, you're inferior. You think you're inferior or you, you're demeaning yourself or whatever. It's not about that. Matthew twenty two thirty nine 39 says this. Well, before that, he says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first commandment. Okay. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that say you hate yourself? You should love your neighbor as yourself. And the, 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 the idea there is a proper love that we have for ourselves. We shouldn't hate ourselves. We shouldn't, we shouldn't think ourselves. We'll get to that. But it's not about hating ourselves. It's about loving our neighbor. You know, we don't miss a meal, do we? In America, we don't miss a meal. I mean, it's like we, we, you come up, man, 12 o'clock. Where are we going to eat? I'm hungry. I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to make it at 5 o'clock. I got, we got, we've got this idea. We've got to eat three times a day. If we miss a meal, we're going to starve to death. And none of us in America are going to starve to death missing a meal. We could miss a week maybe, and we'd, we'd be okay. Um, we're going to make sure we eat. We ought to have that kind of concern for our brother and our sister. And not more than just with eating, with everything in life. We look out for us because we love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. And what, what Paul's saying here, what Matthew said, what Jesus said here in Matthew, is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Look out for them. Have the same concern and care for them that you have for yourself. The only way to truly and properly love ourselves is, is in self-denial. That's, that's true love. When we, we have the right love for self, it's in self-denial and it's in submission. Matthew 10, 39 says, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's about submission. It's about you now. It's your life is not your life. The life I have is in Christ. It's not in me. It's in Christ. And so I, I, I need to submit to Christ. And when I submit to Christ, then I can submit to others. And man, what Paul is saying is there is great, great joy in our lives when we do this. Remember submission. Self-denial means the freedom to give way to others. It means to hold the interest of others above our interest. Jesus taught that the way to self-fulfillment is through self-denial. That's counter to America today. Self-fulfillment. Go be a self-made man. Go make it money. You do it. It's all about you. It's all about you. Get as much, make as much as you can. You know, accumulate as much as you can. Spend as much as you can. They don't talk about saving as much as you can. That's not part of the teaching of the world. But it's, it's all about self. You can do it. Mark 8.35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Paul said, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And then listen to the second part of this verse. He says, and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus Christ. Paul says, we ourselves are slaves to you for him. Exactly. Exactly. It's about submission, and submission requires humility. So it's important that we understand what the Bible means by humility. The humble person is not one who thinks meanly of himself. He simply does not think of himself at all. I think Andrew Murray said that. Humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. You know, it's the thing, it's the humility, humility. Uh, You know, I wrote a book on humility. Humility and how I, how I acquired it. 
You know, it's really, it's really the thing I'm proudest of in my life. It's, it's, it's that mentality of, of when we think we're humble, we think we've arrived at humility, you've lost it. You're, you're not there at all. The true humble person knows himself and accepts himself. Listen to what Romans says, 12, Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Okay? So he says, not to think more highly of yourself, but to think soberly, realistically, honestly, humbly. Think of yourself. Evaluate yourself. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Look, we, we, we need to be, what would be the, what would be the word? Um, you know, sometimes there's what, what is socially unaware. Some people are socially unaware. Um, sometimes we're just personally unaware. And, and folks are, they're, they're, they've got this inflated view of themselves. The Bible says not to think too highly of yourself. But on the contrast to that, we shouldn't think too lowly of ourselves. We should properly evaluate ourselves, you know, by who we are in Christ. But, you know, we, we don't, we, we, we want to get out of this mentality that for a long time was, you know, I'm just a worm. I'm just a sorry old worm. Yeah, I, I probably am. But God loves me. And he died for me. And he doesn't view me that way. And so we don't need to have this this humiliated version of ourselves. You can't love someone else when you think that way of yourself. You need to have a healthy view of who you are, a realistic view of who you are. Amen? Amen. The humble person yields himself to Christ to be a servant, to use what he is and has for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what we do as a humble person. Others... Others is the key idea in this chapter. Our eyes are turned away from ourselves and focused on the needs of others. So what better example of submission taught by Jesus than the very act of submission modeled by Jesus? So verse 5 again says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind of Christ, it means the attitude that Christ exhibited. It's the attitude, the mindset. It was going to, whatever he's... His mindset was who he really was. Is going to, we're going to see that in the way that he lived it out, in the way he worked that out. So let's see the mind that was in Christ, Jesus. And, and then our attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Our, whatever his attitude is, is the way our attitude should be. So let's see what we can learn from Christ's humble submission. First thing is this. He thinks of others, not himself. Christ thinks of others, not himself. Verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, in the form of God. Now, that's not the idea. We, we talk about the hands of God and the feet of God. Listen, God's a spirit, and so he's not sitting up there in human form the way we are. But when you talk about the form of God, it's the very essence. So the word form means the outward expression of the inward nature. So when we're talking about God, when we're talking about God in this sense, God, the Father God, the Son God, the Holy Spirit... When we talk about the form of God, and Christ was in the form of God, it is the outward expression of the inward nature. It is of who He is. Now this means that in eternity past, who being in the form of God, okay, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This means that in eternity past, Jesus Christ was God. I've been concerned sometimes because I hear people say things that almost sound like they believe that Jesus was a man that maybe became like God 
or became, had the essence of God put on him. Some believe that, uh, that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, a man, at the baptism when the Holy Spirit came down and ascended on him, and then he became the Son of God. And, and some people believe that Jesus began to exist in the manger, that he came into existence. Folks, Jesus didn't become God. He didn't come into existence with his earthly birth. He was God for all of eternity past. And you get past creation, the the very beginning of creation, we can't even talk about eternity in the sense we capture that in a time sense. Time is a part of the creation, as we know time. So God has just always been. And it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for all of whatever it was, forever. Forever. He was God. He'd always been God. In fact, with the verse we just read, Paul stated that Jesus was equal with God. He didn't, he didn't become like God. He didn't become, you know, God didn't give him something special so he could come sit beside him. He was God. He had always been with the Father. And then he came to earth and was born of, a, of, 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 of man and became a man in the, in the manger. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word there is Jesus. That's who the Word is. It's Christ. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Okay, So he's always been. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is God. Hebrews 1.3 also states that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, one, uh, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who is the creative arm of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before creation, the plan was, and then they devised the plan, we're going to move in creation, knowing that man's going to fall into sin, and one day Christ will have to come and become a man and die for our sins. He knew that before he moved in creation. He knew that. But because of the love he has for us, he did it anyway. Man, it's an amazing love when you think, this is what it's going to cost me to move in creation, and yet Jesus did that. Jesus was the creative arm of, of the Trinity. He was the creator. Though the, uh, through him also he made the worlds, who being the in uh, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand uh, of the Majesty on high. Amen. Jesus Christ is God, and 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 if anyone ever wants to tell you different, make sure they understand. Jesus has always existed. He's always been God. And Jesus didn't become, he didn't just become into existence with the birth uh, in the manger 2,000 years ago. Certainly as God, Jesus, did, uh, Jesus Christ did not need anything. Amen? He was God. He didn't need anything. He had all the glory and the praise of heaven. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, He reigned over the universe. But Philippians 2.6 states an amazing fact, and it states this, that He did not consider His, his equality with God as something selfishly to be held on to. It wasn't that He goes, well, as God, I'm not giving up being God in this way to go and be a man. 
I'm not doing that. He didn't hold on to that. He, he, it, it would have been a very, it would have been a selfish way of handling that. But he, he, we would have understood that. Our human mind would have said, I was thinking about this coming down the road this morning. We think about God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, the plan is, the Father sends the Son to be the Savior of the world. So the Son is obedient to the Father's wish. Now, Jesus loves us. God, in the form of Jesus, loves us. He wanted to redeem man, but he is obedient to the Father because of his love for the Father. So Jesus comes. He comes and he's born He's born of his own creation. Now, we can't even fathom that. Has anyone here ever created something, a being? Something that was alive? We haven't done that. But I thought, what would be something that would relate to that? Well, what if I wanted to go reach those ants? I want to reach those ants. Those ants don't know. They, they don't know, and I can't. They won't listen. I'm trying to tell them, and they won't listen. For God to leave heaven and come to earth, become a part of his own creation, it would be like, and not even close in the analogy, but it would be me as a man saying, I'm going to beco- become an ant so that I can reach those ants. Now, who among you wants to go be an ant? And yet there's no comparison. For God to become man, that's, I mean, that's a whole lot further jump than for me to go be an ant. This is God, the Creator, the Almighty, the Everlasting. And He chooses to leave the glories of heaven to come and be a part of His own creation. He becomes a part of His own creation. It's just sit and dwell on that a little bit. Those are the kind of things during Christmas, great time to just sit and meditate on what that meant with Jesus leaving the glories of heaven and taking on the form of man. But Jesus didn't think of Himself. He thought of others. His outlook or his attitude, his mind, this mind of Christ was that of unselfish concern for others. This is the mind of Christ. And it's an attitude that says, I cannot keep my privileges for myself. I must use them for others. And to do this, I will gladly lay aside, uh, lay them aside and pay whatever price is necessary. That is the mind of Christ. And that's the mind we should have. Look at the difference in Christ's attitude and that of Lucifer, Satan. And, and even Adam. Lucifer was once the highest of the angelic beings. He was close to the throne of God, and he decided that he wanted to be on the throne of God. Satan, who, who, Lucifer at the time, who is a created being, an angelic being, who then in his pride wants to take, he wants to have the seat of God. He wants to be God. He wants all the glory. And Lucifer, if you read the, the passages in Ezekiel, and he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. You hear a whole lot of flesh. You hear a whole lot of pride in that. Lucifer said, I will. And here's what's interesting. Jesus says, thy will. Thy will, O God. Lucifer was not satisfied to be a creature. He wanted to be the creator. And here was Jesus, the creator, and yet he was willing, he, was, he willingly became a man, part of his own creation. Christ's humility is a direct rebuke to Satan's pride. Amen. Then Lucifer wasn't, Lucifer wasn't satisfied just to be a rebel himself. So he invaded Eden and he tempted man to rebel. He, 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 he came in and Adam, who had all that he needed, I've shared that before, you, when you look around in the Garden of Eden, Adam lacked nothing. He had everything he needed. And he was actually the king of God's creation. If you go back and you look in, in, in Genesis 1.26, it says, let them have dominion. They were, he was in charge of everything. He was ruling over everything. But Satan said, 
well, you know, if you, if you do this, you'll be like God. And man deliberately grasped for something and after something that was way beyond his reach and as a result plunged the whole human race into sin and death. Adam and Eve thought only of themselves will be like God. Pride. Jesus Christ thought of others. As followers of Christ, we should, we should be about others as well. More than 20 times in the New Testament, God instructs us how to live with one another. Give preference to one another, Romans 12.10. Edify one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. We should not judge one another, Romans 14.13, but rather admonish one another, Romans 15.14, and many more another's. There's a lot of another's in there about how we should treat each other and respond to each other and act with each other. Others is the key word in the vocabulary of the Christian who exercises the submissive mind. It is about others. It is not about us. Jesus' mind was about others, not himself. And we should have the same mind. Number two, he serves. He serves. Verses, uh, verse 7, but we'll go back and look at verse 6 real quick. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. That's, that, that's a word we use today. It softens what the word really means. It means he became a slave. Form of a bondservant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus thought uh, of others and became a servant. What grace. Jesus went from heaven to earth. He went from glory to shame. He went from master to servant. He went from life to death, even the death of the cross that we see in verse 8. Now, in the Old Testament age, Christ had visited earth on occasion for some special ministry. And if you, if you go back and read, you can make a note of this, Genesis 18, for example. Go and read that. And we see where Christ actually came and, 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 and was in flesh. He, was, he was made an appearance on earth. But these visits were temporary. Was he didn't come permanently. When Christ was born in Bethlehem, he entered into a permanent union with humanity from which he would, there would be no escape. He would never leave that state. He willingly humbled himself that he might lift us up. Think about that. Christ, again, Christ came, became a man so that he could die in our place so that we could be lifted up. Now, Jesus didn't come out of the grave and then all of a sudden go, boom, he leaves the body behind. You know where the body is, right? Y'all know where the body of Christ is today? It's with him. He's still in the same body on this earth. It's a glorified body, but he is in that body and he'll be in that body for all time. He is forever. There's a union with human, with, with mankind, with humankind that, that is eternal now. Jesus did not pretend to be a servant He wasn't some actor playing a part in this. Jesus was a servant. And he lived that out. He was a servant. This was the true expression of his innermost nature, of who Christ is, a servant. He was the God-man. Deity and humanity united in one. And he came uh, to us as a servant. And he served Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. And we should, we should have the same attitude. We, 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 we're to serve. We should think of others and we should serve. And child, think about John chapter 13 in the upper room when the disciples apparently 
And I say apparently because, you know, apparently refused to serve one another because the fact is you could not have walked in that room and there's no one to wash their feet. This was not, it's not like at Thanksgiving where there's special things going on. It's once a year meal. This was when they would have come into a house. There would have been someone there to wash their feet. That was a part of the culture. It was a part of what they did. They would have had a servant there. Well, the servant hadn't been arranged. There was no servant there. But it's amazing. You had the disciples there with Christ, and not one of them. I would venture a guess that every single one of them realized there was no servant there to wash their feet. But they didn't go, you know what, we, didn't, we, we forgot to do that, I'll do that. Not a one of them took it upon themselves to humble themselves and wash the feet of the disciples. Not a one. And I imagine Christ sat there, and, and as this is going on, and he's watching. He's just going to see what they're going to do. And what does Jesus do? He gets up. He lays off his outer coat. He takes his towel and he, a basin, and he goes around, and he washes their feet. And he models for them servanthood. He humbled himself. He just took the place of a humble servant. That is what the submissive mind does. Because the submissive mind is a humble mind. Service is the second mark of a submissive mind. Third thing is this, he sacrifices. Look at verse, we'll get to verse 8 in just a second, but I'll show you. So he sacrifices. Now, many people are willing to serve others if it doesn't, if it doesn't cost them anything. But if there's a price to pay, then suddenly they lose interest. Let me give you an example. Uh, Brent, you work with FCA, so you understand the, the concept. I worked for FCA for uh, f- about five years, I guess, when I was, uh, first came down here. I was with FCA. And so when we were trying to hire staff for FCA, we would put ads in different areas or we'd have things on our website, and people would respond this job listing for FCA. And so I would make phone calls, and we'd be talking with them, and and yeah, I just, you know, I feel like the Lord's calling me into ministry. The Lord is leading me this way. I just, man, FCA is incredible. You get to work with athletes and coaches and sports teams and all these kind of things. Man, I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about the Lord. I want to do this. This is, you know, I really feel God is moving in this and God's leading me this way. That's great. But something I need to share with you. You know, one of the things that we have to do, we have to raise our own support means we go out and we, we, we raise the funds to create our budget. There's not money coming from FCA. There's no budget. We raise our, our, all of our own support, and they go, wait, what? I, you know, I, I just, I don't know what it is. I just really don't think the Lord's calling me to this ministry. It's amazing how that changes. So we, we, we want to serve a lot of times. We want to sacrifice if it doesn't cost anything. But if it costs something... That's different. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus became a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Look, Jesus was about sacrifice. He gave his life. Jesus' death was not the death of a martyr, but the death of a Savior. Amen? There's a difference. Um, I, I was thinking about this. You know, we, we've seen things where we say, well, Jesus willingly went. You know, he, he, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And I've heard people say that Jesus willingly went to the cross. He did. And I, and, and I thought about how sometimes we think about some martyrs who have been, have been killed. And some went gallantly, gallantly, 
whatever the word. Whatever I'm trying to say, y'all know what I'm trying to say. They, they went bravely. They, went, they, went, they didn't go kicking and screaming. They didn't have to drag them. And they went very, because their confidence was in the Lord and the Lord gave them grace or whatever. But, but they, here was the thing. We would go, well, they, they willingly gave their life. And I go, I don't know if they really willingly gave their life or not. They were going to take their life whether they willingly gave it or not. They were going to take their life. I don't know if it was willingly. Anybody in here just willingly want to go and be executed? Burn at the stake? Cut in half? Any of those things? Thrown to the lions? None of us willingly. But if that's what God has for us, God will give us grace in that time. I believe that with all my heart. So there are martyrs who go. Maybe willingly they go. They, here's the difference. They can't do anything about it. Jesus could have. Nobody took his life. He gave his life as our Savior. He willingly laid down his life for the sins of the world. 1 John 2, 2. And he, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, there, there's a story about a, there was a thing I read this week. There was a guy, to, he was at a religious festival. I think it was a missionary at a religious festival in Brazil. And, and, and this missionary, he's going from booth to booth and he's looking in, he's like an open air market or something like that. And he's going around looking at all these these different, you know, the trinkets and the wares and all the different things that are there. And he saw this sign above one booth, and it said this. It said, cheap crosses. <coughs> Excuse me. Cheap crosses. And he thought, that's what many Christians are looking for these days. Cheap crosses. And it's a cross that doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost me anything. He said, my Lord's cross was not cheap. Why should mine be? We should bear the cross of the Lord. The person with a submissive mind doesn't avoid sacrifice. He lives for the glory of God and the good of others. And if paying a price will honor Christ and help others, he's willing to do it. Sacrifice and service go together. If service is to be true Christian ministry, these two go together. Service and sacrifice go together. The test of the submissive mind is not just how much we are willing to take in terms of suffering. Listen, it's not just about how much we're willing to take in terms of suffering, but how much are we willing to give in terms of sacrifice? It's one of the paradoxes of Christianity and the Christian life is that the more we give, the more we receive. Now, I'm not speaking prosperity theology uh, but because they don't give. They just say, have more faith. And if you've got enough faith, God will do this and he'll do that and he'll do this and the other. The fact is, folks, the more we give to the Lord. You ever heard this? Anybody ever said, you ever heard this? Uh, you can't outgive God? So, some, you, you know, you, you understand that. You, sometimes you, make a, you may be a feel prompted of the Lord that, you know what, I just feel like I should give this to so-and-so or I should give this much into the, into the church. I want to make a special offering of this much. And you go, why are you doing it? Well, I just feel... I just feel you know, you and your spouse having a conversation. I just feel prompted of the Lord. I feel like we should do this. Well, we don't really have the money to do it. I, don't, I know that. I understand that. But I feel prompted of the Lord to do this. And you know what happens? On the, on the other side, the Lord blesses us in ways you never would have imagined, you never would have seen. And, it, and it's a reality. And, and I'm not speaking prosperity. That if you write the check, the church a $1,000 check, well, God will send you $10,000. I'm not saying that. Now, he may. That's, a, that's his business. But that ain't what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying when you give, whether it's through service or through, through money or, or, or your time or your talents, your treasure, you cannot outgive God because he's going to give back in ways that you can't even measure. 
And you're going you're to experience it, the joy that He gives. The more we sacrifice, the more God blesses. Amen. The more He blesses. And take away the thoughts of blessing with the dollar sign. That's American blessing equals money. No, it's not. That might be the greatest curse on American Christianity is the prosperity that we have in our country. This is why the submissive mind leads to joy. It makes us more like Christ. And when we become more like Christ, we're going to have more joy. This means sharing His joy as we also share in His sufferings. Of course, when love is the motive, sacrifice isn't measured or even mentioned. The person who constantly talks about his sacrifices does not have the submissive mind. Because we're not talking, if if you have the submissive mind and and you're serving the Lord out of that and you're sacrificing out of that, you're not talking about it. You're not bringing it up as a problem. The question for us this morning is, is it costing you anything to follow Christ? Is it costing you anything? The fourth thing is this. He glorifies God. Therefore, God also uh, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the, the great goal of all that we do is to glorify God. That's, that is our goal. That is the end purpose of our lives, is to glorify God. When He came to earth, He was given the name Jesus, and we see that in Matthew. When God resurrected Him out of the earth, He was given the name Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 32, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out uh, this which you see uh, now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstools. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has, 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 has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He was glorified. He was exalted. And through his exaltation, God was glorified. He arose from the dead and he returned to heaven victorious. One day, every single person that has ever lived will bow before him and confess that he is Lord. Understand that. Understand that. People, people say, well, you know, a lot of roads lead to heaven. No, there's, there's only one road that leads to heaven. There's only one way to the Lord. There's only one way to be reconciled, one way to be born again, and that is through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are not all roads that lead to heaven. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. There's one road that lead to heaven. There's one path. There's one way, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. And every person who has ever lived will one day bow and confess that he is Lord. Now, people can bow and confess to Him today and receive the gift of salvation, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. To bow before Him now means salvation. To bow before Him at the judgment means damnation. You'll bow And you'll confess. 
But it won't be for salvation at that point. It will be for damnation. It'll be for eternal, you'll be eternally separated from the presence of God Almighty in a real place called hell. That ain't popular preaching today. But it's true. It's true, and it's a shame that that's not preached more and taught more. The whole purpose of Christ's humiliation and exaltation is the glory of God. As Jesus faced the cross, the glory of the Father was on his mind. John 17, 1. Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. His desire in everything that he did was to glorify the Father. The work of salvation is much greater and grander than simply the salvation of a lost soul, as wonderful as that is. And that's a wonderful thing. But our salvation has as its ultimate purpose the glory of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, there's three verses, verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. Listen to what they say. To the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Our salvation is to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. It is all about the praise of His glory. It is all about God being glorified in what He has done for us and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Folks, when we have the single mind, we put Jesus first. And I'm going to tell you what, that brings glory to God. When we put God first, we put Christ first in everything in our life, it brings glory to God. And when we have the submissive mind and esteem others better than ourselves, our life will bring glory to God. Amen? It will. And church, uh, that then brings tremendous joy in our lives. If our purpose in life is to bring joy or to bring glory to God, if we live our lives in a way that brings glory to God, then that's going to bring joy to us. And that's what, what Paul is teaching us here in chapter 2. Pastor Aaron, you can come. I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, I missed a cue there. Now, as, as I preached that and I prepared that, and, I, and, and as I, uh, even reading it, reading over my message this morning, my notes, I thought, wow, I'm, all right, we're talking about people problems. You don't really deal with the people problems there. But here's the deal. If we have the submissive mind, I don't have to deal with the problem. If I, if I, if I have the submissive mind, that'll take care, it'll take care of that, right? The people problems go away. The, the conflict that we have starts to go away. The, the pro people, the issues we have with someone go away. The, the getting mad at somebody because they didn't do what I wanted them to do goes away. Me being upset with somebody because they're not acting the way I think they should act goes away. Me being upset because I don't get my way about something goes away. We, we can all be guilty of that. But it, it, it's, it's, now there's times where in leadership or different things you have, to, you have to make a decision. You have to do some things. But it's still, I need to consider others higher than myself. And when we do that, there's a humility that comes upon us. And it's not a humility we boast about. 
It's a humility because we have the submissive mind, the mind of Christ. If Christ, if God Almighty can leave heaven and become one of us, surely we can humble ourselves and serve one another. Amen. Amen? So this morning, who would be my first thought? This morning, we'll have an invitation here in a moment. We'll have a song. We'll stand and sing. But I, but I want you to understand, this is, this is an altar. These are not steps. We use these as steps at times. But this right here is an altar. This is a place to come and pray. Maybe this morning the Lord spoke to your heart about something. I'm not even going to challenge you with that. You've heard the word. I trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And this morning, maybe there's something on your heart that you just want to come and talk to God about. Don't worry about anybody else in here. You worry about what you and God need to talk about. And I encourage you, if there's something on your heart, make that move. There's something about that. Come to the altar and just spend some time talking to God. Now, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and and you go, well, preacher, I'm not really sure what that means. If you don't really know what that means, there's a good chance you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never confessed your sin to Him, you've never called on the name of Jesus and asked Him to forgive your sin and be your Savior, I would invite you this morning. You go, preacher, you know, I've never done that, but I need to be born again. I need to be saved. I want to know that I know that I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. You can know that. Scriptures tell us that. These things I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't have to go through this guessing. You can know. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you to come down here. I'm going to be right here. Just come down here and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I want to know Jesus. Come talk to me. If I can't talk to you, we'll put someone with you and we'll walk you right through the gospel this morning and introduce you to Christ. Father, I pray that you'll just bless in this invitation time. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I've been obedient to do what you led me to do, what you you told me to do, what you prepared in me to do. But Lord, I pray now that the Holy Spirit of God will do what what only He can do. And that is in touching hearts and in changing lives. May we now be obedient to respond to what we humbly submitted ourselves to at the beginning of this message. So would you bless and move now and have your will and way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.